What would happen if we give everyone an invitation to the table, believing everybody has something to bring and every generation some wisdom to share? What would happen if the passionate people of God became known for building bridges, making connections where there were once divides? What would happen if the love of God sparks a movement, transforming our own lives, our relationships, our communities? Let's find out together. Welcome to Bridged, a podcast about connection. Welcome to Bridged. I'm Stacey Martin. If you are following us from Digging Deeper, you're thinking, Bridged? Wait, what happened? Did I hear her right? You heard me right. This is a new podcast. We are still going to be digging into scripture and all of the things that uh, the word says about about the dynamic life of Christ, but we're taking it one step further and we're going to be talking about connecting the dots and all the areas of life, making connections where there were disconnections. So this is a new podcast, Bridged, a podcast about connection. And I'm joined by Jason Smith, our lead pastor of direction. Jason, why is it important that we're making the switch from digging deeper to Bridged? I think it's not only because in our church's life and history right now, we are in the middle of making a switch to talking about how to help people who are disconnected become reconnected, both from God and to each other. I also think we live in such an amazingly um, compartmentalized time in, in, in culture right now. You know, There are so many things vying for your attention, for your moments, and it's very easy to live a disconnected or at least internally segregated life. One of the things um, that I think is so powerful that the faith has to offer is a, a whole life, one that is integrated well um, and that allows us to see the work of God, the movement of God, you know, throughout everything that we're doing. So perfect timing. So glad you did this. Well, tell me a little bit more about this fact that you just told me. We weren't thinking we were going to talk about it, but when you were talking about the integrated life, you recently or you just told me a fact from the State of the City report for 2019 about millennials, faith, and work. What? Tell me, tell me that stat. Yeah, really crazy. So the stat is that for those millennials, young adults, who remained in faith versus walking away at the end of high school or in college, they were four times more likely uh, to have done so if they were taught how their faith applied to their work. And we were saying before the show started that, like, you know, we spend so much time, so much energy that becomes, especially those first few years in your career, that becomes your life. And if faith doesn't have a place or a connection in it, you can see why people would go like, I'll get back to that when I have kids and I need to control them. You know, (laughs) I love that. I love that we're figuring out how faith connects us to each other and to God and to all the pieces, because I think you're right. I think it's about being integrated, because if we just keep it. If we just keep it within the walls of our own hearts, the walls of our own homes, the walls of our churches, then really what's the point? That's not what God asks us to do. Absolutely. Even just a really small example, but like last night, um, I'm thinking about how I'm running my life in 20 to 30 minute segments. So like I got done with soccer practice for my little one and we, it was like, okay, we got 30 minutes until dinner needs to be done, 30 minutes to read your book and get you ready, 30 minutes to help Savannah with her homework. Then I got 30 minutes worth of work to do before I crash, you know, like, and I'm living in those uh, disintegrated, disconnected kind of moments. So I, I, that resonates with me because I'm the exact same way. I mean, I look at my calendar and it is, it is 30 minute shifts without it being really integrated. So I understand. So let's talk revival. Why not? And if you are listening, you're like, okay, this feels like it took a hard left. Like I was with you with connection and all of a sudden she's revival. Her Stay hands, with us. Her hands are shaking in the air. So revival is a weird word. And we talked about it um, in the last weekend's message when we released our new vision. 
why is revival such a weird thing? I mean, I'm from the South. You're from you're from Louisiana, so I mean, revival is like much a, southerner than that. Yeah, you don't. It has all kinds of crazy things. I think about that movie with Steve Martin, where he was the traveling evangelist that was like hosting fake revivals. Which Charlotte honestly has a history of televangelists. We may have experienced that. We may have experienced this. So what what is it about revival that's so weird? And then what is it really? I think well, let me let me say this. There are two aspects to the weird part of revival. One is the part that humans play in trying to make it weird to use it for their own advantage. There's something about throughout all of history, and I bet you it happens, and I have never really done research on this, but I bet you that idea has happened in other faith as well. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Where the, the human leaders of it find a way to um, manipulate or to grab power or influence through this spiritual thing that happens that only they have access to. Right. It's the sacred men. Andy Stanley talks about sacred men, sacred texts, sacred places kind of stuff. Um, And so that's true in every religion. I think so. We make it weird because we're trying to use it for ourselves. I think the weird is not the best way to describe it, though. Um, I think mysterious Mm. might be the thing that we're really picking up on there. And that is because a revival um, at its core is really an awakening. If you think about what the word to revive something means, it's this awakening, a newfound um, experience of something that maybe you had either uh, become dead to or stopped feeling. And so revival throughout the history of the church in particular is all about moments where large groups of people, and you can talk about personal revival, but I think most often we're talking about groups of people, where they suddenly become reconnected to the power of God in this world, the power of God in their life or moment. Um, So that can feel quote unquote weird because it's so other and it's so uncontrollable. Mm. And in our world where we feel like we can control a whole lot of things, this just seems out of bounds. So I want to put it in a category. Well, and that's what our new vision and mission really is about. It's, it's about reconnecting people back to God, large groups of people, not by our own doing, but by the mysterious power of the Holy Spirit. Like we want to be ambassadors of that, but we're not controlling it. We're not contriving it. It is really, um, relinquishing control, opening our hands to see a movement of God and saying, yes, being obedient and saying, okay, God, like I will do the best I can, but work through me. And isn't that like the hardest position, the one that just says I'm out of control and I'm okay with that. In fact, I'm seeking to take my hands off. Yes. I want to be out of control in this. Well, I love that. So we talked about our vision, our mission that we've covered the last couple of weeks is building bridges that connect everyone to the dynamic life in Christ. And we're asking people, we're asking all Forest Hill folks for this first year to build a relationship pathway to someone who's disconnected from God and do the things that looks like a relationship. Find out their name. Friend them on social media. Add them as a contact to your phone. But by year's end, have a faith conversation with them. And everyone's probably like, yeah, I can friend that person on social media. I can get to know my barista, but you want me to talk about Jesus? How would we know when is the right time to talk about faith with somebody that's new to us, new to all the things? Yeah, um... I think some of this depends on your individual wiring. And then I hope what I'm about to say um, will set some people free in this moment, because I do think many of us, when we get challenged in this way to talk about sharing our faith or the the church word for that is evangelism, Mm -hmm. you know, to do that. There are moments where, especially if you are not a salesman by nature, 
you already have sweaty palms and you know a high pitched voice. We call that the SSS, the sudden sweat syndrome. Nice. All of a sudden, your armpits are gushing nice. in the name of Jesus. Yeah, there, the SSS. There, <laughs> there is stuff to help with that, just so you know. <laughs> yes, I understand. Um, that. <laughs> so yeah, I think for for many people, that is not our go to um, strategy, except whenever you are absolutely in love with or overwhelmed by the power of um, something that you have recently come into contact with. So for instance, um, lots of us would say, talking about my faith, that scares me to death. But this new gym that I started going to, or the guy that I got that started cutting my hair, or you know, whatever, you kind of go through that and you're like, oh, I'm happy to be an evangelist for that. So here's the thing. I think you asked the question, um, when do you know it's right? Is that, is that the mm-hmm. way that you wanted to tackle mm-hmm. this? So I think you know it's right when um, there's been enough trust built between you and the person that you can honestly share what it is that you've experienced with God and also honestly say, I don't know when you don't. See, the gospel moves that I believe um, this movement of God, it happens at the speed of trust. Mm. What's interesting is that, and this is why we talk about building relationships, some people, and many of them are called, you know, they're preachers or or evangelists, they can create trust in a 30-minute sermon. It's not that they don't have to create trust. It's that they do it somehow, either because God has kind of gifted them that way or, um, or just their personal charisma or their story is so compelling and inviting. But they can create trust with a lot of people at once. For most of us, we have to create trust one by one. So as the relationship develops, I think then you begin to be able to speak your story and and tell the story of God. I will say this, though. If you wait for just that moment to introduce it at all, it feels way more like a project, way more like a strategy, and way less like a friendship, you know? I missed an opportunity this week, and I could have kicked myself. Tell me about that. So my youngest son is playing t-ball for the first time. And we had our third practice. And so I'm starting to get to know the parents. You know, we're all st- we're st- huddling in the cold. We're in the like the mud, the muck. We're just standing out there. And I start talking to this mom. And she they've just recently moved to our area last fall. Really nice. We're hitting it off. We're talking about all the things. And she hears me talk to this other parent who goes to Forest Hill. And we're talking about church, the mission of vision. And she says, well, uh, what, what home church do you go to? And the way she asked the question made me feel like, Maybe they don't have a lot of history with church or they definitely haven't found a place yet. And so I tell her, I'm like, oh, you know, I I go to Forest Hill. It's here's where it's located. I actually work there. And you know what I did not do? Hey, if you guys would ever like to come check it out, we'd love for you to come sit with us. I missed it. I just stopped. I just like swallowed my tongue like I was allergic to shellfish. (laughs) Just like stopped. And I got in the car and I told Mike, I was like, I know better. I, I have did. a picture of Hitch in my mind right That's now, like Will Smith with his face all exploded. But that is exactly what happened to me. And I just sat there and I thought, what is wrong with me? Like, that was easy. She wasn't asking if I had a death to life experience. I, she literally asked what church I go to. And I told her I worked for the church and still did not invite her. Okay. So let's just, let's do a little therapy here right now. Yes. Um, you said, I missed it. Did you say I failed or did I hear you say you failed? Um, I, I probably said it. Okay. I feel like I missed my opportunity. No. And I failed at what felt like 
should have been an it was an open door I could have walked right through. Yeah. So let's say let's use this uh, as an example. We just talked about trust. Maybe you didn't actually miss it. Maybe the fact that you were open about it, but there's another step to come because you'll probably see these parents again. Yeah. Maybe now twice a week. Right. It's mm-hmm. one step at a time that you're able to kind of invite someone in to what you're experiencing. Um, and I think we all need to get over that fear of like, oh my gosh, I fail. What's going to, you know, God is working all the time. That was the point of our first week. If you remember that God works both sides of the bridge. Peter is talking to Cornelius. He doesn't know that God's already shown up to Cornelius, vice versa. Why don't you just rest and relax a little bit in that? And, uh, and I think the act, the fact that you actually said, oh, that was a moment I should have grabbed. You won't miss the next one. Mm, that's good. Well, that makes me feel better. Well, so what happens if we we know that telling talking about faith, part of it is telling our own story, our, our own faith story. What if we've never articulated it before? Like we don't even know. I, I thought about the first time I went to counseling. It was like, where do I even start? I was born on a cold, rainy March day. You know, like, do you go that far back? What's your back? birthday? You want to tell it's everybody? It's my birth. My birthday's next Monday. Wow. 38. Exciting. I'll tell you. You guys, you can send in, you know, messages yeah. all over the bridged podcast. We'd love to just That's fill right. it up with flower emojis. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. Um, but, you know, you always want, like, where do I even start? So what do you do if you've never articulated your face story before? Yeah, I think, um, and especially it's interesting for people that don't have one of those conversion moments, you know, like a, it was at that time that person confronted. If, if your story is kind of like mine, maybe where there's a, a long journey of small steps, then it can really feel like, hmm, I don't know how to put that all together. Here's what I would say. Um, for every person, it's just a great practice to try to write down your own story. Even going through the mental exercise of remembering, okay, when did I first seem to become aware of, of God, of however I thought of God at that time, maybe as a kid. Um, and then when did I first become aware of like something's wrong with me and God? Mm. Was that because I did something wrong? Was that a sense of, of guilt? Was it someone told me? You know, mm-hmm. think, trace that and then kind of work through a little bit of, okay, what was the process like of me understanding I actually needed him to fix what was wrong? I think if we kind of work on writing that story out, one, you are, you will be so encouraged by the work and the movement of God in your life. Hmm. Many times, again, we're compartmentalized. Um, we get disconnected from those moments. When you go back and relive it and like, oh, my gosh, he showed up there and there and in that person and on that TV show and in that song, you know, you begin to see. And I think there's so much beauty in recognizing like a um, – like an eighth grade boy, he has been chasing you down <laughs> for a long time, you know, hopefully less creepy, but definitely pursue. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, what's so interesting about that? It feels so cyclical, almost like chicken and egg thing, because once you do that exercise and remember how good God has been, you almost can't keep it inside, right? Like once you look down and see the tangible proof, now you feel inspired to go do it more. That's exactly like you were right. inspired to write it down, and now you're inspired to tell it, and it just is like a whirlpool of evangelism. So, so good, and uh, so that's what actually that's part of what weekly gathering and worship is supposed to do. When we gather together, when one of our five kind of meta strategies mm-hmm. for people, you are supposed to be reminded of God's goodness to you. So we don't just do those you know moments where we talk before the first song or in between songs. Um, just as try to transition the key from one key to the next. We're actually trying to say, hey, we have a moment to remember where God has shown up before. 
Maybe it's a moment to remember um, the fact that you've been asking him to show up and you've stopped looking for where there's evidence. But those moments, that's what we mean about connecting things. This podcast, our church, we're trying to connect people back to those moments because he's always at work. Um, the other thing that I would say is when you when you begin to write your story out, don't be tempted to try to manufacture something more than it. Like for many of us, the regular mundane, I woke up one day and realized I could believe, like that's as miraculous as the, you know, the drunk who suddenly gets sobered up and all of a sudden, you know, falls on their face and, and surrenders and becomes a street corner preacher. Like, yeah. it's just as miraculous. Every one of us who have been made alive with Christ, connected to his dynamic life, are a miracle. Mm. Well, what happens if you do that work, you and vulnerability share it and say, God, I would, I'd love to invite you into this. And they're like, yeah, no, thanks. You get shot down. Then what? Um, I think, well... Let's take it to our first example. What if you were talking to a person and you said, uh, I don't know why I keep going back to the hairdresser idea. And I don't even know why I just used the word hairdresser. It's 2020. Um, if you were saying, hey, here's this new guy I got that's been cutting my hair. I think you should check. And they're like, no, thanks. I got mine. Do you suddenly feel like, oh, no. You know, you, you've shared something that you love. You don't feel, you don't take that personal rejection, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think. Mm -mm. I think in a similar way, we need to see um, this invitation as God is the one who is doing the work. Our job is simply to invite. Now, the closer the person is to you, you know, relationship-wise, especially when we consider that um, what Scripture teaches us is that ultimately, without a reconnection to God through Christ, we end up spending eternity separated from Him. So we don't want that. So the closer someone is, the more it may feel like pressure, the more it may feel uh, like even pain if they were to say no. But the truth is, our job is to make the invitation. God's job is to play the host. Mm -hmm. He's the one who is bringing and inviting people in. And so I would love for us to become um, a group of people, and anybody that's listening to kind of think of this in their way too, um, that's just really okay with making lots of invitations, and very okay with God doing whatever he does on the other side of that. I love that. Well, life as bridge builders requires boldness. I mean, just by necessity, in order to build bridges and connection, it requires boldness. And I think for us as Americans, like Western Christians, we're not comfortable with boldness. Like, that's uncomfortable to step out like that and say, here I'm going to be vulnerable, or here I'm going to trust God to do it. I'm not going to try to manufacture myself. But it's not like that in other parts of the world. I mean, you just got back from Cairo in January, and we talked a little bit about this weekend, and it's different for the Christians over there. What what does that look like for them? Well, I think it's different in some ways, um, and in other ways, it's not. So, and here's what I mean by that: I think for um, for many believers who live in a heightened moment of now, now Egypt. Truthfully, you can be born a Christian into Egypt, um, and you can stay Christian. It's legal to be one. What you can't do is be born Muslim and convert to Christianity officially. Actually, on your driver's license, your ID, it says what your faith is, right? And so um, you can go from Christian to Muslim. You can't go the other way around. And so um, I think in a place like that where there's this, this heightened pressure, um, boldness becomes, the I believe, Boldness becomes the way God chooses to um, empower and gift those folks because every single day it feels as if you are the minority. 
Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think has happened when you talk about boldness, especially with faith, is um, in the West, we just have had a long run of being the majority. Like, even if people weren't actually practicing Christians, kind of like in Egypt, you'd go like, yeah, my ID says it right here, Christian, born that way, Yeah. right? I think as our culture continues to move into a post-Christian time, um, and I know that Kanye and I know that Justin Bieber are, you know, reaching lots of people with their newfound faith, but still overall, we are still becoming more and more post-Christian. Um, I was talking with a girl the other day who uh, moved here recently from Canada, and she's like, it's so weird to walk into a place and see somebody with a Bible or see somebody talk. Like, every Starbucks has Bible studies, and I never met someone who's a Christian in Canada. If you did, you were like, whoa, you too? You Seriously? Really? Yeah. Canada is uh, the canary in the coal mine for us. It's the bellwether. They're about 10 to 15 years ahead. So that's where we're moving. And that I think, is interesting. I did not realize that. Yeah. I think the more that, um, that we become a minority in terms of those who have active, dynamic life and faith in Christ, the more boldness will begin to be given maybe by God mm. because it'll be necessary. Um, does that answer? It does. Question? Well, and boldness seems like a key nutrient for Tunisia. So we are we're in a partnership um, with a bunch of different churches in in MENA in Middle East North Africa region. And one of the places that we are focusing on planting churches and learning a lot is Tunisia. Mm-hmm. Tell me, I, I think Tunisia is fascinating. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, it really is. Um, Its story, its people, its history is just incredible. So Tunisia um, is kind of the gateway to the rest of North Africa by where it sits. Um, It's near Morocco. And uh, Tunisia was a part of, um, in its history, about 1,600 years ago or so, uh, there was a council that was held by the early church in a place called Carthage that's there. And at that council, um, there were several. One of those councils is kind of where they began this process of canonizing the Bible. What the, the word canonize just simply means um, deciding which of the books, the letters that have been written, all that were inspired by God, and were going to be compelled, uh, compiled to be kept together. So that's how the Bible gets formed, right? Hmm. Um, it was the scriptures from the Old Testament or the original covenant, plus these writings from Paul and John and some others, and so. Uh, Tunisia plays this really interesting role of giving the Bible to the rest of the world. And then almost immediately, um, the the Muslim empire came in. It was shut down to Christianity. It became not only illegal at that time, it was just more from force, you know, persecution mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and it basically stayed dark for 16 centuries. Um, recently... And within the last like three to four years, it's begun to open up because it had a president that really wanted to allow the country to experience some of the prosperity and some of the openness of the modern world. Um, and so he said, look, we're going to begin to address some of the things that keep Western businesses from moving here, that keep people from traveling here. Um, and so they began to relax and open up. Well, that created this window of opportunity. Wow. Uh, one of our partners is a uh, uh, mission agency called United World Mission, and they had been working with you know people on the ground there for a long time, and it was like, the time is now. The door got opened. Um, Tunisia now is 11 million people or so. Um, best evidence that we can tell, there are 1,000 Christians. 1,000 out of 11 million. Out of 11 million. The oldest one is about 42 years old. So between our ages. Yeah, exactly. Much, much closer, closer to, to mine. Me. You're, no, you're super young. <laughs> 25, 26. That's all right. That's all right. 26. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, so the, imagine that. Gosh. The person with the longest life history of experiencing Christianity is younger than me. And so what they are in the process of doing in this really beautiful way is saying, we're going to try to unite. Now, lots of work has been done over the years. You know, other churches have tried to do mission work there. Um, small churches and gatherings have been planted, but there's no interconnection. There's n- no coordination. Um, discipleship is tough. And so right now, there's this moment to say, like, while the window's open, let's gather the leaders together, equip them, let's help give them the tools they need, because we don't know how long that's going to stay open, and watch it flourish. Here's the thing. It's like um, the very first church, first century church. It's like watching that happen in a part of the world, and you imagine this. How many people who live in Tunisia have never heard of the name of Jesus? Like, you say it, and they're like, who? Who? Yeah. Where, Where does he live? What is he? I mean, that is what we're talking about. Wow. So it's really, really um, just an incredible opportunity. What I think is significant about this opportunity is that, you know, a lot of times we talk about partnering somewhere else in the globe and it's us bringing what we know to, to you. Like we are so well versed in all the things. Let us teach you. And what we're saying is, no, no, this is like. This is like biofeedback, you know, our relationship together, what we are learning from you about this new, fresh church, the opportunity, a movement of the Holy Spirit is going to inform even how we do it here. Because while Tunisia has this crazy history, Charlotte has its own issues. I mean, we've got our own issues that muck up how faith is transferred. Yeah. You know, I mean, we look at you, you talked about some of these stats on Sunday, but one out of three millennials are walking away from the faith. Yeah. One out of every three people. Yeah. So me, you, Chess, our videographer today, one, that would be one of us. Right. That's crazy. Exactly. And then if you look at it, we have 60 new people moving to Charlotte each day. Most of them are millennials. Yep. And so then if you take that, I mean, the, it's exponential, the number of people walking away from the faith. This is the reason why in a place that's as churched and historically Christian as Charlotte, we, you know, we joke about it being the buckle of the Bible belt, um, why in the next five years, by 2025, the number of people who are disconnected from faith and de-churched is, is supposed to reach an, you know, the highest level it's ever been here. It's why, and when you, when you take the percentage, um, it's supposed to be like a 10% drop, okay? Now, that doesn't sound like a crazy amount, but 10% of our population is 250,000 people who will exit the faith in the next five years. Which is... It- it makes sense now how you're saying Canada feels like the canary in the coal mine. I mean, if we're talking 250,000 people walk away from the faith. Right. And in that doesn't years. count the people who never came to the faith to begin with. 100%. It also doesn't count Generation Z and then Generation Alpha that's to follow them right now, the youngest kids, who their parents didn't have faith, um, so they're not going to pass along anything, which is why it's so important that we get after and intentional with Next Generation Ministry here. Um, you add them to the group, and I think I mentioned this the past two weekends, actually, because the stat is just striking to me, that Gen Z, the oldest one, was born in 1997. Gen Z are twice as likely as all other generations to be atheist, to be antagonistic to faith, not just, I don't care, what's it got to do with me, but actually opposed to the idea of God. That is like, so yet we're mirroring the culture of Tunisia, maybe, Um Here's what's so cool about this, and you, I love the illustration of biofeedback. That's perfect because we're not going in and saying, "Here you go. Here's our resource. Here's our best teaching. You know, we'll run this for you." We're going in and saying, "You are figuring out a way to reach young people that don't have a memory of the gospel." Guess what? 
we're trying to figure out a way to reach young people that don't have a memory of the gospel. Guess what both groups, but teenagers in Tunis, Tunisia, or in Charlotte, North Carolina use? The internet. Guess what they, they watch? YouTube. Guess what, you know, so we've got exactly the same issue. And I think if we will be humble enough to take a posture that says we'll learn with you and from you, that the all bets are off on what could happen here. Well, and even one of the stats for Charlotte in the State of the City report is that we rank almost dead last in, in interracial trust. Yeah, 39th out of 40. I mean, that's crazy. So if you, if you pair that fact with what we talked about with the millennials and, and generations to come, it makes sense why we as a church are saying we've got to pour into the next gen and we've got to be humble enough to say we're ready to cultivate kingdom diversity. Both takes major amounts of humility. Absolutely. Let me just give you a quick example. I'm not going to use the name because I haven't asked them yet, but I got an email this weekend um, after the message talking about our vision from a lady who said uh, we moved here from another part of the country within the last like six weeks or eight weeks. Um, and she's like, I was crying because you actually were saying what we've experienced. See, a lot of us who've lived in Charlotte for a long time, we kind of go, eh, yeah, whatever, so, you know, disconnected, divided, okay. We don't really take, until you move into this place with new eyes from the outside, and she's like, we didn't understand why we felt racism for the first time in our life when we moved here. We didn't understand why we felt this kind of, you're on the outside here. And we've struggled, and all of a sudden we found a church that said in the last three weeks, we're not going to allow that to stand. We are going to not just say that's not okay. We're going to do something about it. That, it, for those of us who live in Charlotte, there is way more of that experience for people than we would recognize. And so that's why we're, we're just going after it. I mean, it's not the way that God would have it. It's not part of the kingdom. So it's not going to be a part of it here, as we say, you know, in Charlotte as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. Oh, God, I love it. I love it. Well, one of the things that you talked about, we you, we actually got to see part of your conversation with Pastor Samay Maurice from, um, from Egypt. And it was so fascinating to see the two of you sit down and talk because he gave some really great advice. And it seems so simple um, because I think, well, it seems so simple. It actually feels a little counterintuitive. Here's what he said. He said that... Um, in order to start building bridges, the first thing we need to do, whether it's generationally or in diversity, I mean, all the things, um, is that we need to search for the needs, then serve the needs. How can we best do that? Because I think a lot of times we're very prescriptive. Mm. Like, I'm going to tell you what your need is, and I'm going to serve you the way I think you need to be served. Mm. I mean, that's kind of my go-to a little bit, is I, I say, oh, this is what I think you need. What's your Enneagram number? I think I'm, a, well, I'm between a two and a three. Okay. I'm like a three with a two wing, a two with a three wing, somewhere yeah, right in there. I'm right there with you. Yeah. So we always have, we, we want people to be okay and we want to be the reason. Yes. I totally get it. Um, so like here's a casserole that you don't need. <laughs> it's like my go-to. I always need casserole, Here's Stacey. an enchilada that's going to give you heartburn and you don't need, but I'm helping you. It's like you're speaking a different language. All of a sudden, I don't understand not needing a casserole. All you can think about are enchiladas. That's right. This interview is now over. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. We do want to be prescriptive often. So it starts with listening. It starts with saying, when I'm building a relationship pathway, when I'm trying to become a bridge builder to someone, um, first it's listen. And it's listen way longer than we think. Um, empathy begins to be developed as you hear the story, um, as you as you see and then interact and know deep enough to kind of really see what needs are. But I think you ask the person um, – questions that kind of help you see where's there a gap. And then you go to work serving that. 
Why? Because they may end up coming to faith? No. Because it might buy you the credibility to ask the question? I don't think so as the first reason. I think the first reason we do it is because Jesus said that you love others in this way, the way that I have loved. So um, God is working behind the scenes in all of that. Through our acts of service, it's not a program. They're not a target. You listen, you serve. Um, This kind of reminds me of when we first started this conversation, talking a little bit about if you don't know what to do with your story, you know, here you go. You you begin to serve somebody until, and and one of the things I used to say to people a lot is, love them until they ask you why. Mm. Like, okay, this starting to not make sense to me. Why, why are you taking your time, your dollars, your energy to love me like this? Oh, that's good. That's how God loves me. Uh, well, what? Well, what does that have to do with anything? Oh, well, let me tell you. You know what I mean? Oh, that's so love good. So let me ask you why. Um, I do think in this idea of searching for the needs and serving it, um, you know, it's almost become cliche, but we talk about this compassion or service is like the the best apologetic, which like the best defense of or a reason for. I think that's increasingly true now that when people see us without an agenda, serve someone else, that just goes against natural human culture. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to say I do that on my own power. It really is. Mm-hmm. So did I answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And I think so much about like what you were saying for me, the place the places that I struggle in serving or or my desire to be prescriptive is because there's something actually that's that's not been reconnected in me. Hmm. There's something that's dead that hasn't been brought to life. Like maybe it's my my need for affirmation or my desire to be needed. Like I need you to need me. Mm-hmm. I need you to see that I am a great friend. Mm-hmm. Like this actually isn't about Jesus. This is about I, I need some affirmation that I am just really. I'm really just a good person. Mm. Like there was this Friends episode years ago where Phoebe and Joey are like trying their hardest to find the one altruistic deed and they can't do it because it's all about getting the praise. Like that is my downfall. And so when I think about revival, I know it starts in my own heart Mm -hmm. because I can't help be part of this movement for Jesus when there are still places inside my heart that are dead and I'm only being fed by by self. I think that's true. I think, um, no, I mean, I know that the essence of what you're saying is right. I also know that God loves to work on us mm-hmm. as he works through us. So you also, you don't want to just, you know, wait until that's fixed. Well, and that's, you know? I really feel like revival when it happens is multi-directional. Like it's not just out, it like swirls. So I imagine that when revival happens outside, we're going to feel it first inside and or it's going to coincide all together. Like I just imagine it being this amazing energy. I love that. And and again, that word revival, if we can somehow, especially if you're a person who's been tainted by that because of your faith history or church history, if you imagine, and when we say if when revival happens, imagine it like an awakening. Imagine like you've been sitting on the side of the pool um, and suddenly you jump in and the water's cold and you feel that moment where you feel alive in every part of your body. Imagine that happening. Imagine God swirling around and suddenly waking us up as if we had been asleep or dead, you know, sleepwalking and like, whoa, this is possible. Wait, joy that looks like this? You mean, hold on, you mean that I can actually be experiencing pain and, and also, or experiencing disappointment, and also find an inner place in me that's, like, still joyful? Is that 
that that's what you mean this dynamic life is i think that's the revival stuff that will start when we begin to go yeah things out in the world are scary right now and you know what i'm aware because i'm awake of the fact that i have peace and i didn't used to have that like i know it's bad but i'm not wigged out um, that's the kind of revival stuff. And that's what when we're going to offer, when you're inviting someone to follow Jesus, that's why. Absolutely, it's because there are millions of years on the other side of your death that you're going to exist, you know? And, and of course, it's about that. But he also said, I came to give this life now. So as we experience it now, um, and as we then tell people about that now, I think it's going to be so compelling that more and more people will go like, I'm in. I got to have that. That's what I've been missing. And I thought maybe kombucha and keto would do it, but it's not. So here I am. I can tell you right now, keto does not bring the abundant life, the dynamic life of Christ. Well, it's interesting. When we sang that song, uh, God of Revival, uh, we learned it as a staff last Wednesday, and then we sang it as a congregation this Sunday. When we sang it with staff, I was really listening to the words, and there's part of the chorus that says, pour it out, pour it out. And my imagination, we've talked on this podcast before about just the power of imagination. In my mind, I, all I could imagine was like this, almost like a paint can over a over a skyline, okay? So imagine like not a skyline in the distance, but like you're actually seeing homes and townhouses and apartment buildings. And it was like a paint can pouring this vibrant colors, like technicolor, and it just dripping, mm. covering everything. And then you know how when people come out after a storm, like the hurricane has stopped and they come out and they're peeking and they're looking like, I just got this vision of, of that's what revival is. Wow. It's like technicolor and then everybody's opening the doors and coming out and peeking like, I think the storm is gone and this is, like this is amazing. This wow. is different. And that kind of, that just that's that beautiful. imagery of like pour it out. Absolutely. That know. is really gorgeous. It's really stuck with me. And especially because of the way that you're describing it, um, if you're the person on the ground, you can't control how much of that happens to you. It's you. just it's just happening. It's just covering you, you know. Um, oh, man, I love that. And it's kind of like, um, and also if you're standing next to a person that's getting that poured on them, you can't help but get wet yourself, yes. you know. yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. I told our video team, I'm like, we may need to pour some paint on some stuff. (laughs) We've gotten, this is like probably the deepest imagination, um, charismatic almost that I've ever been on this podcast. Really? I feel like. Yeah. Well, I think, I think because God is asking us to step out into a place of faith, faith requires believing in what you can't see. And if that's not imagination, I don't know what is. I mean, you have to stretch your brain and your heart and your muscles and all the things to be able to say yes to God, because I can't see how it's going to. I mean, I believe that in 2025, Charlotte's going to be different, but I can't see it. I can't see the percentages that change. I can't see the millennials. I don't know their names. I don't know. I don't know the people who are going to be changed. I have to use my imagination and believe that it's already happening. Can you see it for you? Oh, yeah. Just in your own personal life? Yes, absolutely. So I think that's that's where we start. That's how revival starts. One by one, each of us experiencing that. So cool. Well, will you pray for us? Will you pray for our new Bridged, a podcast about connection listeners, for all the digging deeper deeper people who've stuck with us and are going to continue this journey with us, and for the new folks coming? uh, Would you pray for us as we enter into this new season? Love to. Thanks. Uh, Father, you are one who has always been about um, building bridges, reconnecting people. 
And so now as we, uh, as a church, as we just kind of step out on this, step forward and say, um, we're going to work uh, to partner with you to build those bridges. I pray that even through this podcast, that as we talk and as guests come on, as we um, try to explore a little bit deeper and maybe even demystify some of the stuff that that you're doing and that we're seeing, um, that people would, would... come to find that at stirring a place deep within them, Um, that mysterious idea of awakening, that experience of your nerves um, and the the soulish part of us finding itself being roused from slumber would happen in a lot of people. I believe and pray that hope would begin to... um, kind of break through in many places in people's lives. For those who have been listening that have just uh, a, an incredible obstacle or opposition in front of them, God, I pray that you would, uh, in this moment, that you would show them how you're working behind the scenes. And I pray for um, not only this podcast, but all the other things that are happening here at Forest Hill that you are running. God, I pray that you would help us to, as Stacy just said, begin to have eyes to see um, something that our minds uh, can only imagine, that where we are unsure of how to move and where to move, that this boldness that you give us, um, confidence that you're the one leading and in charge would be what drives our feet forward. And so we're just trusting you with the whole lot of it and, uh, and ready to see what you do next. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, everybody. Join us next week for our second episode of Bridged Podcast. Have a great one.